Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hello, hello. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. This is the Peddling Fiction Podcast, and I, of course, am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita. Hope everyone had a nice weekend. It is Tuesday evening. Mine was pretty good up until the very end of Sunday night when I realized that my phone was damaged somehow during my uh, Sunday afternoon festivities. I don't know. I guess it got wet or something. I'm still not entirely sure that that's the, the problem, but the screen just kind of went blank. And I it, it turns on and everything, but I can't, I can't access anything, which is really devastating because I also back up almost nothing i don't i don't back up anything it was tied to my like you know one of those google things the google drives at one point but i saved so many memes and shit like that that it was just filling up with too much space and when uh, justin and i would be sharing files or episodes that he i needed him to edit you know the video for the youtubes or, or something like that it was it, i was bumping up against the the limits of of space there so i i just unhook that and of course my phone goes belly I, I never get my phone wet I usually I actually usually have it in one of those like waterproof cases most of the time but I you know I had some people down at the pool and we were tripping the uh the life fantastic there and I guess I don't know what happened because I just sort of left it on the uh cabana playing music for us and I don't know if somebody spilled a drink on it or if it isn't if it actually is even water damage the only reason I think it's that is because the stupid water damage indicator is all red or whatever but I feel like those things are bullshit anyway I don't know if it was red to begin with I don't you know I, I feel like every time they tell me to check for water damage and it, there's never been water damage but those things have always been triggered so anyway I've got that sitting in a bag of rice for another day or so hopefully that will fix it at least to the point where I can just get I just want to get all my pictures and files and and me like I probably have like 15 gigs of memes on there that I really would prefer not to lose and there's just there's just no way it, it seems like such a dumb problem to be having in 2021 where it's like I have the phone it turns on but I can't act I can't get the files off of it like even if I plug it into a computer here and I've never, I guess, since I've never used it with these computers that I have here before, that's sort of an issue. But, like, unless you can actually access the screen, you can't pull documents off of this. I, I don't know, man. This, this just, this seems like such bullshit to me. And it was really frustrating trying to talk to Verizon about, you know, different options of, of getting the, the stuff off of this phone. But they're, they're basically just like, no, nope. unless you can access that screen. No, you, you can't do anything. And I was like, well, what about all this cloud shit I keep hearing about? It's like, isn't all this stuff in the cloud somewhere? And uh, apparently not. I don't know. What what a fucking pain in the ass. For all of the data collection and spying that they do on us, like, how come I, they, they can't get this shit off my phone and give it to me? Anyway, that's what's been going on with me. Luckily, I had my, my old phone here for... um. I brought it down just in case something happened with um, with work or whatever. I, I forget what my initial rationale was, but I had my old phone and the SIM card was fine. So I just popped it into there and I'm, I'm going off my old phone. It's funny how quick the battery drains on this. It's really unbelievable, but I am uh, still up and running. I, I haven't been uh, very active on, on Twitter or anything like that just because I've been dealing with all of that stuff the last uh, day or so. But I am very excited for this week. I, I I don't know if I've mentioned this before on the show, but I met this kid here whose parents have one of the penthouses in my condo, uh, in my tower here. 
and they have two brand new jet skis that have just been sitting in the harbor here, rotting away. I met him last summer, I think, when I was down here with my buddy, and we, we saw him at the pool, and he was messing around, you know, these fucking rich kids, man. He was messing around with one of those, like, submersible uh, engine thing. You know, you, like, you dive underwater with it, and it propels you underwater. He's playing around with that in the pool, and we're like, who the fuck is this kid? Maybe we should talk to him. Turns out it was a good idea because we got to rip on those jet skis. When we first took them out, they had 17 hours on them. And so we took them out like almost every day one week and just ha- had a fucking blast. I love those things, man. There there are a few things I like more than ripping across the bay on a wave runner. And, you know, there's all these hidden beaches along the coast and you just, you roll right up, you beach them, you have lunch, a little tequila, you zip around, you, you know, jump some waves, do some 360s, just having just so much fun. Anyway, he's getting in today. If he's not already here, he's supposed to land today and he's going to stay for about a week. So I don't know how uh, productive I'm going to be this week because any free time that he has that he wants to take those things out, I am going to make myself available. And now I don't even have to have my uh, asshole buddy on the back or, or take turns with him. It's, it's just going to be me and this, uh, <laughs> I think he's probably 18 now, this 18-year-old hillbilly. <laughs> who spends most of his time like roping cattle in competitions or something and I couldn't care any less but man is he passionate about it he will talk your ear off about those competitions and I am more than happy to you know sit there get drunk and listen to him if it means I get to uh, take out the, the the jet skis with him so looking forward to that hopefully we'll take him out tomorrow I don't know anyway that's what's been going on with me I don't know how long I'll be able to go today I do have a um a friend of mine is sort of having a, I guess you'd call it a bon voyage sort of uh, shindig today at, at this at this restaurant we've been meaning to try out. You actually sit in a pool. They have like these tables in a shallow pool or something like that right on the beach downtown here. I, I think it's brand new because I've never seen it before or really heard of it. But she is going back to California, if you can believe it, for the summer. Which, if you knew this girl, you'd be like, why the fuck are you going back to California? Uh, It's because she needs to work. She hasn't worked in over a year, I think. I don't know how people do that. They just take a year off of work and just, like, blow through their savings or something like that. But she's basically got to go back and, and work. She's a dental hygienist. There's, I guess there's not a lot of work for that out here. They don't really have those here. They have, like, a different position or something. Or It's like the dentists just do that themselves. I, I don't know how it works out here but she's going to go back to California try to make some money and then come back toward the end of the year after the uh, the rain season and it's just she's like a hardcore anarchist i i just came across this article which i i wanted to i was going to send her today because it's just fucking hilarious that she's going back to California and this is a girl that like won't put on a mask like she refuses to do any of this covid stuff but the article here is welcome to the socialist paradise of California and it's written by Michael Snyder from the uh, the most important And it's just it, it just it was just really funny to me. I don't know. It's a lot longer than I expected it to be. But if you like extremely high taxes, ridiculously inflated cost of living, horrific, horrifying bureaucratic nightmares, rising crime rates, endless homeless encampments, and health restrictions that make it nearly impossible to operate a small business successfully, then you're going to absolutely love California. Vast hordes of people have fled the state over the past 12 months, and so that means there is a new, there is now plenty of room for more socialists to move in. But before you come, you will want to make sure that you have completely discarded any lingering notions of freedom and liberty because they won't be of any use once you arrive in California. Over the past few years, California has gotten a bad rap for being an absolutely filthy place. But the truth is, authorities are going to great lengths to try to clean things up. In fact, they just removed 180 pounds of feces from one homeless encampment alone. This week at Echo Lake Park in Los Angeles, California, the location of a former homeless encampment received a much-needed, long-overdue, deep cleaning. 
The park was closed last month, and since then, city officials have been working to clean and revitalize the park and have reportedly removed over 170 tents and other debris, the Los Angeles Times reported. Among the 35 tons or 70,000 pounds of garbage, there were literal piles of shit amounting to 180 pounds of feces and 564 pounds of urine, according to data from L.A. sanitation and environment workers. This did not include excrement collected from portable or permanent restrooms. Other hazardous waste like needles, used drugs, uh, used for drugs, gasoline, and kerosene amounted to 300 pounds of total trash collected, the LA Times noted. Okay, hang on for a second, because, you know, as a libertarian, as an anarchist, we, we talk about privatizing parks and, you know, all these state parks and all you know all the state land that the government has just illegally seized right how much work like it, you talk to a, a statist about this and their initial thing w- would just be this dystopian view of what would happen if you just left it up to uh you know private people or a corporation to take over a park oh there'd be like vendors selling stuff and it would be commercialized or they would ruin the you know they would ruin the natural like ambiance of nature and all this stuff it's like okay oh how about this how about this alternative where you got uh, 180 pounds of shit to wade through with uh garbage everywhere seventy thousand pounds of garbage and needles and and just and tents and and debris and just filth pure fucking filth that they've just let pile up for i I, it doesn't say how long but it's got to be years right Ugh, it, it just sounds disgusting but this is what this is what happens when you leave stuff to the the tragedy of the commons and you leave it in the hands of the government to to take care of they don't give a shit if you trash this place are they going to clean it once every couple of years, shovel all the shit out of there, and then let these guys come right back in and destroy it again? Unbelievable. Unbelievable that this doesn't get more attention. And the, I mean, it's just the perfect example of private versus government or private versus public, right? I don't understand why people have such a visceral reaction to privatizing things. I mean, I, I kind of understand why they have it because of the government school system that we've all been herded through like cattle and taught not to think for ourselves. But just just think about private versus public for a second and use bathrooms as an example. Like if you had to choose between two bathrooms, one was private in this private organization, this private company in their lobby, they have a, a bathroom that you can use. And then one is a public restroom that's like sitting in a park somewhere or on the side of the road. Like, which would you choose? If you had to choose one, which would it be? And the obvious answer is everybody wants private. So why can't we just take that bathroom example and extrapolate that the rest of the park or the, whatever is being privatized might not be so bad? I mean, they're they're catering to the the market, to the wants and needs of the people. Does anybody want a bunch of uh, smelly, dirty homeless people in their gross tents with debris everywhere, shitting all over the place, throwing their their drug needles around? I I don't think there's a big market for that. He goes on to talk about how California is a state known for great natural beauty, and that natural beauty once attracted tourists from all over the globe. Unfortunately, the pandemic has killed tourism, and many of the most iconic locations in the state have been marred by the temporary problems that the state is currently experiencing. Venice Beach is just one example. Residents of Venice Beach in Los Angeles say soaring crime rates and the exploding homeless population have made life in the elite-based beachside community unbearable. A catastrophic increase in homelessness in Los Angeles has seen hundreds of tents line the beach famous boardwalk. Business owners say they are being forced to close their doors and long-term residents are afraid to leave their homes after dark after being subjected to violent attacks and intimidation. Many Californians aren't leaving their homes during the daylight hours either because the price of gasoline has gotten so high. At this point, the average price of gas of a gallon of regular grade gasoline in the United States has reached $3.02 a gallon. 
That is not good, but in many parts of California, the average price of a gallon of regular-grade gasoline is now hovering around $4 a gallon, and in some locations, a gallon of premium is almost $5 a gallon. But officials in California are assuring us that higher taxes and absurd regulations are only partly to blame for why residents of California have to pay such high prices for gasoline. Some industry observers insist the higher cost of gasoline in California is due to higher taxes and regulations on gas and carbon emissions statewide. State agencies and consumer advocates insist that the factors are only partly to blame and that the largest manufacturers charge more in California simply because they can. While big oil companies have held back on ramping up supply, according to the New York Times, after seeing huge cuts to their profits and workforce last year because of the pandemic. Of course, the gasoline prices in California are not even worth comparing to the absurdly high housing prices in the state. But the good news is that the housing prices have started to moderate a bit as hordes of former residents have stampeded out over the past year. Some suspect the high crime rates may have something to do with the mass exodus as well. After a huge increase last year, the murder rate in Los Angeles County is up almost 200% so far in 2021. Apparently not satisfied with how fast the crime is rising, California Governor Gavin Newsom has decided that now is the perfect time to start releasing tens of thousands of violent criminals back on the streets. California is giving 76,000 inmates, including violent and repeat felons, the opportunity to leave prison early as the state aims to further trim the population of what once was the nation's largest state correctional system. More than 63,000 inmates convicted of violent crimes will be eligible for good behavior credits that shorten their sentences by one-third instead of the one-fifth that had been in place since 2017. That includes nearly 20,000 inmates who are serving life sentences with the possibility of parole. So uh, the, the overarching theme of this little piece here is that these socialist policies that California has been instituting over the last, uh, t- you know, whatever, 30, 40 years, have really destroyed the state. It's kind of hard to argue with that. They have done a tremendous job of, like you said, destroying this beautiful part of the country with these absurd, like the most liberal, progressive policies you can imagine. They have the the highest taxes ever. They got all these rich people that they're taxing extra, extra hard so that they can create this uh, progressive utopia. How's that working out so far? How's that working out so far? The rich usually can avoid those taxes, right? Because they don't have typical income. The poor don't have to pay any taxes. They're on the dole from all the progressive policies. And it's the the people in the middle, the you know upper middle class people that are just getting crushed, that get hit with all the high taxes, that have to fund all of these programs, and that have to live right next to these tent cities where all of these uh, poor people have been made homeless thanks to the, the increased housing costs and just the cost of living in general. So you create this system, which is what every socialist system ends up being, which is like really, really poor people and then really, really rich people and nothing in between. All the people in between have either just fallen into just complete destitution and they're living in a tent somewhere or they've left the, the state altogether. And that just further exacerbates all of these problems. You know, keep going. Keep keep instituting all of the, the same retarded policies your progressive tax system and all that stuff and see how much better these problems get. I mean, California really should just secede from the the country and they can have their progressive utopia and, and see how far it goes. And, you know, speaking of, you know, he mentioned big oil. Gavin Newsom, if I'm not mistaken, is the son of um, his father was like uh, some big shot attorney for Getty Oil, if I remember correctly. And Gavin Newsom, California is, is in such dire straits right now. The, the people are so upset with what's been happening in California that they're having a um, they're having a recall election trying to get him taken out of office, right? And his solution to that is, would you take a guess? Would you take a guess at what Gavin Newsom's uh, strategy is ahead of this the, the recall election? Yeah, yeah, it's to buy off voters. He's, he's producing a new plan to shower residents in stimulus money thanks to what he calls a massive tax collection windfall, 
which will help finance a $100 billion state-level economic recovery package, the centerpiece of which would be $11.9 billion in direct cash payments to most Californians. This is according to Bloomberg. The plan would expand upon a previous program, which delivered $600 checks to qualifying low-income residents by allowing middle-class residents to become eligible. This means two-thirds of Californians would receive a check of at least $600, with families that have children receiving an additional $500, essentially creating the largest state tax rebate on record. We believe people are better suited than we are to make determinations for themselves on how to best use these dollars, said Newsom. Huh, you think? I I would actually agree with you on that. That The problem is that those aren't their dollars. They're they're fucking stolen from everybody else. So you're you're taking them from one group of people and you're giving it to somebody else and be like, hey, yeah, you'd be a better steward of these dollars that we just stole on your behalf. Uh, the Democratic governor is seizing on an unprecedented $75 billion operating budget surplus fueled by surging economy and capital gains tax to greatly expand the state's role in the recovery just as he is facing a potential recall election later this year. The windfall leaves Newsom and lawmakers with an extra $38 billion to spend as they see fit since some of the money is already earmarked. The state will get an estimated $27 billion from Joe Biden's stimulus plan, according to the latest Treasury figures. Newsom's plan would also spend $5.2 billion on what he said would be the largest renter assistant package in the country and would allow low-income residents to cover their back rent and their rent for several months into the future. It also spends $2 billion to cover overdue water and utility bills. Whew. Okay, that was a mouthful. But Jesus Christ, dude, first of all, I have no idea what what they are talking about when they say they have a, a $75 billion operating budget surplus. It's like, okay, I, I get it that you have in this one operating budget a surplus, but you do not have a fucking surplus in California. The unfunded liabilities in California are astronomical. They're, they're completely fucking broke. The last I heard, and this was a, a few years ago, but their state and local liabilities were estimated at over 1.5 trillion at the uh, toward the end of 2017. Okay, you have an extra 75 billion this year. Uh, maybe you know start funding some of those unfunded liabilities. Wouldn't that be a good idea? Instead of spending it already, and this is what drives me fucking absolutely crazy about Democrats like the Bernie Sanders of the world. It's like, oh well, you know we. We're spending too much money on our military, which we are. I agree. $700, dollars dollars $900 whatever. I think it's, is it $900 billion now on our fucking military? It's insane. It's not that we're just spending too much money on our military. We're spending too much money in general. All they want to do is take that money from the military and spend it on more of these misguided California progressive programs that have driven that fucking uh, state into the, into the gutter. So it's not like they're just like, oh, we need to stop spending that money. It's like, no, 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 we, we, it's okay to spend $8 trillion a year. It's okay to run a $29 trillion n- national debt as long as it's on pro- uh, programs that we support. <laughs> it's like, no, dude, we can't afford to be spending it on, on the military. We can't afford to be spending it on, you know, uh, these public works projects. And to have, you know, these bailouts for these bankrupt democratic states – I mean, if, if, you, if you're in such good fiscal position, California, why are you getting $27 billion from Joe Biden? Uh, what's that for? Why do, why do you need that if you've got this great tax windfall? All right, all right, you don't. You're fucking bankrupt. And, and this is like a payoff for a couple of things, right? For, um, you know, towing the, the party line when it comes to COVID. And, and to, to just cover up the fact that all of these progressive policies are going to end in disaster. And what they're doing now, which I talked about uh, probably last year on the podcast when they first started proposing these big stimulus plans, and I knew that they were going to take this money and bail out all of these poorly run democratic states, is is the tremendous moral hazard. And you're asking states that were more fiscally responsible, that had nothing to do with the problems in California, to go pay for their mistakes. And And this is going to be a goddamn disaster. And everything that they're doing on this level is on this level in California. You know, paying people six hundred dollars uh, plus an extra five hundred for your kids, 
giving you housing assistance, all this money that they're, they're paying people not to work is, is what's causing the the destruction of, of what's left of our economy. And we're going to get into that here because that's actually what I really wanted to talk about on today's show was the, the jobs report that came out on Friday that I didn't have a chance to get into. We talked about inflation on Friday. Now we're going to talk about the uh, the reality that is the jobs report that smacked the market upside the head with a huge miss, probably the biggest miss in expectations I've ever seen. It's got to be the biggest miss ever. And we're, we're going to get into that in just a second. But first, let's take a quick second and thank our sponsor, our other sponsor for today's show. And that is Lorenzotti Coffee. And I don't have Lorenzotti Coffee right now. I have some Costco Colombian brew, which is okay, but it's no Venice blend from our friends over at Lorenzotti Italy, who have been bringing you premium Italian coffee and coffee brewing supplies right to your door, at least on this podcast, almost since the beginning. They're our longest and oldest sponsor. I love these guys. They're not only really cool guys and and fans of the show, but they've got a great product, comes in great packaging, it makes a great gift. And with all these lockdown restrictions and pandemic bullshit, who wants to go stand in some socially distanced line at Starbucks or something to pay you know $5 for a cup of coffee? Forget all that. Go to lorenzotti.coffee. That's L-O-R-E as in Edward, N as in Nancy, Z as in Zebra, O-T-T-I dot coffee. Use my promo code FICTION so they know I sent you, and you'll get 10% off your order. You'll be supporting this show. You'll be supporting a small business run by two liberty-minded entrepreneurs who are also fans of this show, and you'll be getting a discount on some premium Italian coffee that is really hard to find on this side of the pond, which is why they came into existence to begin with. They wanted to bring that coffee house feel, that Italian coffee house feel, over to the United States. So help them do that by going to lorenzotti.coffee and using my promo code fiction so they know I sent you and you will get 10% off your order. There's no better way than to start off your day with a cup of Lorenzotti coffee. It tastes like freedom. All right, where were we? That's right, we're gonna talk about the jobs. Jobs, 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 right? So on Friday, we got a jobs report. And it was, <laughs> I don't know, you know, I, every time they miss the expectations, it's always a surprise to be, oh, nobody could have seen this coming. I have no idea why th- there was such rosy projections for job creation. You know, you hear all these stories about how great the Biden administration is doing and this recovery is well underway. And now that we've got the vaccine and we can open up and blah, 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 blah. So they were expecting somewhere in the neighborhood of a million to a million. I think the the highest estimate I saw was 1.5 million jobs created in April. These are the the April non-farm payrolls, they call them. So the consensus was somewhere between 1 and 1.5 million. The actual number, which will probably get revised down even lower because that's usually what they do, right? Even if they come out with a really high number and the market gets all excited, Next quarter, or you know, a few months later, they revise that down, and it gets no fanfare. And they can revise it down by hundreds of thousands of jobs, and, and nobody talks about it. They just it. We all operate off that headline number. Well, the actual number, and if you were watching like CNBC or something when this came out, I heard that they had to like double check the number live on air because it was such a big miss. So. We didn't get the 1.5 million. We didn't even get a million or even 500,000. The number was 266,000 jobs created. Now, that is the biggest fucking miss of expectations I've ever seen. I guarantee you it's like the biggest on record. I, I bet my left arm. I mean, they're off by over a million fucking jobs. I mean, the, usually we're only expecting, you know, between two and 500,000 jobs, right? Uh, 400 would be like a really strong number. Two would be like kind of bad, not even really keeping pace with population. And they were expecting, let's just say on the low end, a million jobs, and they got not even a third of that. 
basically a quarter of what they were expecting, be off by like 700,000 fucking jobs. Ouch. Ouch. That is a big fucking miss. So the question is why, right? Because if you listen to the propagandists in government, they will tell you that, oh, you know, these programs like the one Gavin Newsom wants to institute where you pay people not to work, you give them an extra 600 bucks a week, an extra 500 for their kids, you give them some rental assistance, that that maybe that has a small effect, but that's not the real reason that nobody's working. I'm going to have to beg to differ on that. I'm going to have to beg to differ for a, a few reasons. Now, it's not the only reason that these numbers were that far off. I mean, let's not forget that these these businesses have been shut down due to COVID. And when I say due to COVID, they've been shut down by the government due to their reaction to COVID. Should, I guess I should uh, yeah, do a better job of explaining what I mean by that. You know, and it's interesting because you always hear politicians talk about small businesses being the the engine of, of job growth, right? The backbone of the economy. And then as soon as this virus comes around, it's like, well, uh, let's do everything possible to destroy the backbone of the economy, the engine of of job growth, and uh, we'll we'll make sure that we we lock everybody down. We make sure that they can't make a profit, that they have to operate at 25% capacity or all these stupid rules that they have to follow. And and they, we make the margins so thin that it's really not worth them staying in business, even if they can, which a lot of them can't. And a lot of these businesses closed. And if they were able to stay open, well, we're going to pay people not to work. And we're going to give them such generous benefits that it's... From their perspective, it makes more sense not to work than to go work at some menial job, you know, uh, uh, being a, I don't know, a waiter or a bartender or a, a barista or something like that. There is an old saying that you get less of what you tax and more of what you subsidize. Well, what is our government doing today? They are taxing productive behavior. They are taxing work. If you go to work, you got to pay a bunch of fucking taxes, don't you? Oh, speaking of which, those are due on the 15th, by the way. I still have to do mine. <laughs> a little, little funny side note. I, was, I called my mom on Mother's Day, right? And uh, I didn't actually talk to my dad, but I could hear him in the background just swearing at his computer. <laughs> and I chuckled. I, said this, I was like, Dad doing his taxes? And she's like, yeah, I don't know why he doesn't just pay somebody because every year <laughs> he's flipping out. And yeah, I'm going to be going through that pretty soon over the next day or so. Just screaming at my fucking computer, calling them all kinds of names. I'll probably go on a rant about this on Friday's episode. If I do one Friday, we'll see. But we get less of what you tax and more of what you subsidize. And what are we doing? We are taxing work and we are subsidizing not working with really generous benefits and we have some numbers here and maybe I'll remember to link to this in the uh in the show notes or something I, I always forget to do that because I'm in such a hurry to get these episodes out but they have these charts here that show you the the household income and the benefits that you can receive at various wages right so let's see if I can do a, a job of explaining this along along the x-axis you have wages, right? If you're making 5,000, 20,000, 50,000, 100,000, that that's all along the bottom, right? And then as you go up up the y-axis here, there there're the welfare benefits that you get at any given wage, okay? So there is a point on here. They call it the the highest welfare cliff where you'll you'll be making more in welfare benefits or as much in welfare benefits as you would be if you were working for a much higher salary. Does that make sense? So so if, if a person is earning $29,000 in gross income a year, if you add on the, uh, the welfare benefits to those wages, their net income and benefits is about 57,000. It's a little over 57,000, 57,327. Okay, now in order to get the comparable amount of income and net income and benefits with without taking uh, any welfare money you'd have to be making $69,000 a year at $69,000 your net income and benefits is about $57,045 
So they give you an example here of a single mom who's better off earning a gross income of 29000 with 57327 in net income and benefits than to earn gross income of 69000 with net income and benefits of $57,045. But the bigger problem is that you can actually earn more being on unemployment right now than you can from a regular job. There are several jobs here that they have mapped out where it makes more sense to just go on unemployment than it does to get an actual job. So a minimum wage job you make uh, on unemployment, and this is from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, assumes a 40-hour work week. You could have a minimum wage job making $7.25 an hour, or on unemployment, you can make $11.23 an hour. Okay? So you you figure out which, uh, which choice you would like to do. Would you like to go stand in a hot kitchen you know, slaving over a, a, a French fryer, a deep fryer, smelling like fucking grease, working, being on your feet all day, working, doing menial tasks, or would you like to have 100% leisure and make more money? Hmm. I wonder which option people are going to choose. Dishwasher, you make more on unemployment. Hotel clerk, you make more on unemployment. Preschool teacher, you make more on unemployment. Now, a light truck driver... You, it looks like you make a little bit more if you work than when you go on unemployment. And by a little bit, it looks like a dollar an hour more, maybe $2 an hour more. But see, here's the thing. Not only is that you're basically just uh, getting paid the difference between those two, right? Let's call it $2 an hour more, even though it looks like $1 an hour. Just This chart's not very exact, but you have to figure in the cost of work. Okay, not only are you giving up all your leisure time, that's worth something, but it's expensive to work all the time. You got to eat out more. You got to go to restaurants. You got to get somebody to watch your kids. If, I mean, if, if you're a truck driver with kids, that, that $2 an hour isn't going to do it for you. You're much better off going on unemployment, foregoing that $2 an hour salary increase and taking care of your kids, eating at home. You save a bunch of money. A dental assistant, it looks like you make uh, about $19 an hour working versus, uh, yeah, maybe $16, $17 an hour on unemployment. Which one are you going to do? Again, would you like to get up at the ass crack of dawn, go to work, deal with other employees, maybe you don't like them, deal with that boss that you don't like. As a dental assistant, you got to get in people's fucking gross mouths all the time for an extra couple of bucks an hour. Fuck that. Fuck that. And the cost of commuting to and from work. Uh, like I said, your lunch hour, you got to eat, you know, eat out at restaurants more often. That's more expensive. No wonder nobody's working. The median wage is $20 an hour and the median wage on unemployment is 1778. Uh, that's less than a $3 an hour difference. Of course, of course people are going to choose to stay home and collect unemployment especially for these jobs that they aren't really considered careers. They're, they're um, you know, things that people just do to make ends meet. But if the government's going to give you a check and you get 100% leisure time, of course, no wonder none of these companies that can fill these positions. You know, McDonald's and all these fast food places are having trouble finding people to, to hire. I, I think it was McDonald's that, that was paying people $50 just to come in for an interview. Obviously, obviously this is why this, this, job, this jobs report was such a big miss. It's very lucrative to stay home now. We are, we are paying people not to work. You know, the cost benefit analysis is just not there. To, to get off your keister and go to work unless you're going to make significant amounts of money. And remember, on top of all of that, once you start working again, then you got to start paying the income tax. What's that going to cost you? Certainly more than a couple dollars an hour. I mean, the, the biggest marginal tax increase is when you go from unemployment to working, to paying no income tax, to paying like 30%. So unless, you know, you're this fry cook who's all of a sudden going to get offered a job to make like 80 grand a year, it's not going to be worth it for you to go back to work. It just isn't. And I, I don't begrudge anybody from taking these, you know, taking this free money instead of going to some job that you hate. Of course, that's what you're going to do. That's what people do. That's what humans do. This is a normal 
uh, rational decision. It's not that they're lazy or they're bad people or something like that. They're human beings. They're making a, a logical choice. Obviously, if I'm going to get paid the same, more, or almost the same as um, not working, well, then I'm going to choose to not work. I'd rather go on vacation for a year. Take a year off. Go travel. Even though that they make that increasingly difficult now. But you, you get the point. March's numbers were even revised down from, they said, 916 initially. That dropped down to 770,000. And don't forget, too, that, you know, they do this thing. You can't trust any of these numbers. They're all just complete bullshit. But they do this thing with the birth-death model, which is when they just um, assume that a certain number of businesses come into existence and also die over that same period of time. And they're always very rosy predictions from their perspective, right? Do I have the birth-death model? I think I do. It's in this other article. Hang on just a second. I, I, I can't find the numbers. But, you know, sometimes almost the entirety of the job creation is due to these assumptions that they make on the birth-death model. So who knows? I mean, I, I would think that a lot more jobs are, are dying off. A lot more businesses are dying off than are being created in the middle of the pandemic. So unless the birth-death model was negative, right, um, I, I think they're far, um, they're far too rosy in those predictions. So these numbers are probably worse than they would have you believe. But you also have to think about what this is going to do to inflation that we talked about on Friday. You know, none of this stuff happens in a vacuum. It's all related. And if we're going to have tens of millions of people unemployed, getting a check from the government, not producing anything, but consuming everything, in some cases making more money unemployed than when they were working, that is going to have a profound effect on inflation. We're starting to see all of the effects of that in the prices of everyday goods. Oh, commodity prices are going through the roof. Things that you buy every day are going through the roof. You know, they talked about the gasoline out in California. We talked about lumber being, you know, adding. I think the latest estimate I saw was it adds at least $35,000 to the average cost of the, of the construction of a house. But the, the cost of metal, you know, all these copper, uh, titanium, all, all, this, all these metals that we use in just about everything are, are the prices going through the roof because, you know, we, we're not producing anything, and, but we're, we're circulating money throughout the economy as if these people that were unemployed actually added, on average, right, $17.78 an hour worth of productivity. They didn't. They didn't. They sat on their ass watching Netflix and eating bonbons. But then they take that 1778 and they start buying things in the economy. You know, this idea that Keynesian have that that was disproven in the 70s when they actually came up with the term for it, which was stagflation. You know, they, they have this idea that you can't have runaway inflation if you have high unemployment. And that is just not the case. Like I said, the 70s disproved that. They had to come up with a term for it. So you would think that they would understand this by now. But this is just going to further exacerbate the inflationary pressures throughout the economy when we're paying people not to work. So th this is going to be an absolute disaster. They're doing an unbelievable job of destroying this economy. And then on top of that, think of how many people work for the government. There's like, you know, 20 something million people or whatever work for the government. And, and these people, not only are they not productive jobs and they're taking money from the productive sectors of the economy, they also retire at like 50, 55 with a pension for that's like 80, sometimes 85 percent of their highest three income earning years. They get the average of that. For dude, people retiring at 50 could live for 40 more years, easily, 35, 40 more years. They're going to be in retirement as long as they were, were actually working, making obscene amounts of money, making more than the people in the private sector that are funding their pensions. I mean, we are going the way of California. That is why California is so bankrupt. The entire country is going that way. And at this point, I really don't see a way out of it. I think we are too far gone. Maybe I'm just being too pessimistic, but my God, I, I don't understand how we turn this ship around. You, you've got more people taking than you have giving. The mentality isn't there. You know, the, um, the knowledge isn't there. Everybody's just looking to the government to give them 
a, a living. Everybody wants something for nothing. And man, pretty soon it's going to get really, really ugly around here. Um, I do have, let's see, I got to wrap pretty soon. I guess I got a couple more minutes here because I did, you know, I saw that Chelsea Clinton was in the fucking news again. And I guess I can ju just give a, a quick little rant on this because this shit's really starting to piss me off. But she was speaking at a Vatican-organized conference meant to promote open dialogue. And Chelsea Clinton called for global effort to crack down on all anti-vax social media posts or anything that's skeptical of the official narrative. The statement, made in a pre-recorded segment that featured questions for the erstwhile first daughter... Clinton was asked to respond to a query about vaccine hesitancy and what can be done to encourage wider vaccine adoption. I personally very strongly believe there has to be more intensive and intentional and coordinated global regulation of the content on social media platforms, she said. We know that the most popular video across all of Latin America for the last few weeks that now has tens of millions of views is just an anti-vax, anti-science screed that YouTube has just refused to take down. Now, I don't know what she's talking about there, but uh, just because you label something anti-vax doesn't mean it's not true. She added that the vaccine content created in the U.S. flourishes around the world due to social media like YouTube and Facebook. Really? Because uh, as, as far as I'm concerned, they're doing a pretty good job of taking down anything that doesn't fit the official narrative that, that you're such a proponent of, Chelsea. Uh, I've had videos taken down. I know everybody that I, I talk to has had videos taken down. We know that because I have tried, that appealing to the leadership of these companies to do the right thing has just not worked. So we need regulation. Clinton said the Clinton Foundation, oh, of course, has been doing what it can to convince the vaccine hesitant and vaccine refusers to accept doses of the COVID-19 vaccine. She believes it's important to differentiate between people who are hesitant and those in the refusal group. The hesitant have questions that she can answer. For instance, regarding the speed at which the vaccines were developed, their ingredients, and conspiracies about microchips. Recently, those who have questioned aspects of COVID-19 roll out in the U.S., most notably Joe Rogan, who was recently forced to apologize for vaccine skeptic musings on his show, have been attacked by a growing chorus of critics, including the mainstream press, while being deplatformed by everyone from Facebook and PayPal. Yeah, so that would kind of go against the whole, uh, they're not doing enough, we need regulation. But I, you know, I don't really have time to go into the whole anti-vax thing, but... What the fuck is... Why are we talking to Chelsea Clinton about anything? Why is she here? Why is... Why are people asking her questions? You know, I'd like to crack down... Forget about cracking down on anti-vax YouTube videos. Why don't we crack down on the worthless, cancerous offspring of scumbag politicians? How about that? I mean, she's a real chip off the old block. You know, seriously... We, we need some sort of global uh, initiative to crack down on people convicted of wrong think that go against the official narrative. How fucking creepy is that? We, we should have, you know, if we're going to go along those lines, we should have sterilization. Maybe sterilization needs to become a requirement for running for office. All, all this nepotism shit, these dynasties that we have, they've single-handedly practically single-handedly destroyed this country. I can only imagine what they're doing overseas. But the Clintons and the Bushes? I mean, my God. Why, why the fuck are we listening to their kids now? Well, I mean, Bill Clinton is a rapist. He's a fucking disgrace. Hillary Clinton is quite possibly the least liked politician to ever put on a pantsuit. She lost to Donald fucking Trump. Nobody wants to hear from her. Nobody wants to hear from Bill. Why? Why the fuck are we hearing from their token trophy child that you know they just crapped out for the photo op? And because that's the typical political family is a married, you know, husband and wife with with some kids and some dogs. These are the degenerate offspring of despicable sociopaths. Stop it. Stop talking to them. Stop listening to them. Stop giving them these bullshit positions that they can then parlay into some political office or some other arena where we have to hear from them constantly. Just stop it altogether. Shut up. 
Shut up, Chelsea Clinton. Leave them all in the crack tens with the Hunter Bidens of the world. And stop giving them book deals and all this shit. You know, the, I saw the McCarthy. I think he's got the right idea. The House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy said he officially scheduled a vote for Wednesday to oust House Republican Conference Chair Liz Cheney from her post. <laughs> I, I can't get into all that because I got I got a wrap soon. But um, Liz Cheney, there's another one. Why why is she here? Dick Cheney's fucking devilish daughter. Get the hell out of here. Why are these people around? Chelsea Clinton. Uh, Chelsea Clinton's going to give us advice on on vaccine procedures and how to crack down on the people that aren't uh, that are skeptical of the official narrative. Fuck out of here with that. These are the the creepiest people I could imagine. Imagine thinking that you like you should be in charge of some global initiative to force people to take a vaccine or inject themselves with something. We have too much free speech. We need an, a more intensive, intentional, and coordinated global regulation of content on social media platforms. God, I wish somebody would fucking coordinate to uh, deplatform her. I, I, I don't think I could take another Clinton or another, another one of these kids that have no business doing anything. The only reason you're out there is because your parents were politicians. They were like the worst fucking politicians. It's enough already. Nip this in the bud. The Clintons should go into the dustbin of history the second Hillary Clinton lost to Donald Trump. That's it. We don't need to hear from your dumbass daughter now, too. God damn. All right. I'm going to wrap there. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction and check out our YouTube channel because there's a lot of cool little clips circulating around there. Justin's doing a great job of creating some, you know, pulling these you know, five, six minute clips that are more easily listened to and shareable. So go check that out. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. And this Friday is our bi-weekly happy hour, so don't forget about that. And if you want to join us for a cocktail, go to peddlingfictionpodcast.com, click on the support the show tab, and set up a recurring monthly donation for any denomination that you want. That will get you into these Friday night happy hour extravaganzas. Last time we went for like, I don't know, man, three, four hours or something like that. It was a lot of fun. You don't have to stick around for the whole time. You can pop in, you can pop out, depending on your schedule. And just uh, shoot the breeze with me and the crew on Friday. We'll start at about 7.15 or so. Sunsets at about 8.30 now, FYI. So if you guys can do all that for me, I will be back on Friday with a brand new episode for you. And until then, you guys know the drill. Just keep on peddling that so-called fiction.